With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening and welcome to Red Shirts and Runabouts, part of the Heroes Podcast Network. As always, I am one of your regular hosts, Greg Bosco, and with me are two very amazing co-captains. Derek, go ahead and uh, introduce yourself again. Hey, Greg. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Lots of good Star Trek news out there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a weird time to be alive. <laughs> and, and also yeah. with us is Mr. Jeremy. Hello, hello. Jeremy, are you, are you just as thrilled with the recent news as the as the two of us are? I don't know. I'm I'm waiting to see what uh, what all shakes out from all this. I mean, I mean, we'll we'll get into it. But there's there's some very exciting things and some very confusing things. Yeah, you are not wrong with that. And for those of you who are listening, in case you didn't listen to last week's podcast, but if if you're not if you're listening to this week's, you probably should just listen to next week's first or last week's first. Excuse me. Um, yeah, <laughs> Time yeah listen, to, listen to next week's, then last week's, and then this one. Um, because yeah, that's what we're going to be talking about is, uh, we're going to, we're going to start off with some talk on the new Quentin Tarantino led Star Trek, which when we recorded last week, we only thought that was just a fun, you know, how many times do you hear rumors in Hollywood? And, oh yeah. Yeah. You yeah. know, Chris Evans is leaving. Now he's back. Now he's leaving. Now he's back. I mean, that's I. I'll admit I'm I'm actually shocked that it's it's going to happen. It's it's like a thing now. It is so crazy. It went from this is a funny idea because he's been interviewed many times about the fact that he likes Star Trek too. No, he's actually going to do Star Trek four or fourteen, depending on how you count. Um. It, yeah. So okay. So I guess the the real news is that he is officially going to direct. A R-rated Star Trek film, but he's not writing it. Which could be a great thing, because, yeah. you know, one of the, as a Star Wars fan, you know, George Lucas creating the story, the overall story early on was good, but he had, like, other people doing the directing. And in this case, it's kind of reversed. Quentin Tarantino, who is a known director, is letting somebody else do the writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that's probably the best way to use him in a in a Trek capacity because he's got a good vision. Though we haven't seen him use that much on the sci-fi ever, right? Um, you know, nothing comes to mind now that you mention it. Yeah, I mean he he's just got done with the uh, what is it, the Magnificent Eight or something? The 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 hateful eight. The hateful eight. Hateful eight. Yeah, yes, the, hateful the one eight. that was shot on like seventy millimeter and and very old timey and very uh you know all practical effects and all like on a single set. It's just so interesting to think that he would go from that to something that's going to be 
you know, primarily CG. Like, there's no way you can do all of that practical, and you can be these giant, sprawling, you know, combat scenes, I'm sure. It's just, like, directorial whiplash. It is very different. So, I mean, I saw Hateful Eight, uh, and I, I would consider myself to be a fan of Quentin Tarantino's films. Um, if not, not, not everything that he does in them, but, uh, I am a fan of his dialogue and his, uh, kind of just pacing, how he shoots his sequences. But anyway, um, Hateful Eight was not one of my favorites. It, it's, uh, it's not great. <laughs> the, the intermission was weird. Yeah, the intermission was very weird. So I, I did, so did you see it in this, in the special 70 millimeter with the intermission? Yeah, I went to the the touring thing that they did at the Alamo. Oh, okay, okay, cool. Yeah, I saw it. Where was it? I think I saw it at Town Center, uh, mm. which is one of our AMC theaters here, and uh, they they did it there. The intermission was strange, but well, it's especially weird at the Alamo where you have like table food service because it's like, oh, I didn't really need this because people just bring me all my food. Right. Well, and they didn't really tell anybody how long the intermission was, so if you wanted right. to get food, you weren't really sure when you needed to be back. Right, it's not like a play where they're going to flash the lights in the lobby to let you know it's time to head back in. It's just like, uh, okay, I guess I can go back now. Right, because there's plenty of normal movies that are still playing. So um, so that was weird. But yeah, so Tarantino, we talked a little bit about this last week. because He's a Star Trek fan. Um, yeah. But what I didn't know that makes this far more weird is that he and Sir Patrick Stewart are good friends. Yeah. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't. And I didn't know they had a friendship beyond Hollywood, just professionalism. I didn't either. And they—they're such good friends that Patrick Stewart said that he would definitely return to the role of Picard for a Tarantino-directed Star Trek. Yeah, and I know people here rated our Star Trek, and there's a lot of the hardcore, lifelong fans that automatically get a, offended's the wrong word, but they're upset because they're rated our nature. But right, right. to me, ratings are ratings. I mean, you can get rated R for all sorts. Like we discussed a couple episodes ago, the Klingon blood and undiscovered country. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to change the color because of the rating system. I mean, it, there's a lot, lots of movies out there are, are kind of playing around with the ratings these days. No, you're right. And Discovery is what you, you know, the relative equivalent of rated R for television, which is, you know, rated M. Um, and so this is not you know, new; it's new-ish, I suppose. But you know, if it's if it's rated R because of the action sequences and you know maybe there's some more realistic violence, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Especially if we go the route that Quentin Tarantino is likely to want to go, which is the yesterday's Enterprise tone, where it's not the happy-go-lucky bright Federation, but an at-war and struggling Federation. Now, do we know if there's been any discussion? I don't even think there's been any discussion on if it's Kelvin Timeline or Prime, has there? As far as I know, the movies are going to be Kelvin Timeline for the foreseeable future. Um, but, you know, nothing has been made official. Hmm. That would, that would be so fascinating if if it just jumps forward to the next generation in, in the Kelvin universe. And we we do get Picard playing, or, you know... We get him playing Picard, but we see what has happened to Picard in the altered timeline. It could be very interesting, right? It's it's a unique opportunity, and they can do the whole jump ahead, just like um, you know we we would see on, on TV. Um, 
the fact that Patrick Stewart would be along for the ride makes me feel better about the situation, though. Whew, yeah, but, you know, him him saying he'd be interested in it and him writing through to the end of the project, it, it gives me very, uh, what's his name that was on Ant-Man for a little while? Oh, Edgar Wright. Uh, Edgar Wright, yeah. It's like, oh, don't don't crush my little heart again. Yeah. Hollywood rumors. That's fair, that's fair. But at least um, in this case, Patrick Stewart is the one saying, I want to work with Tarantino. Not, true. I'd be more worried if it was Tarantino saying, I would love to have Patrick Stewart. I mean, they're now they're both saying it. I'm like, hmm, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like Jeremy's idea of what if they do show Kelvin Future Next Generation and it's, they just, uh, and Derek, I don't know if you're leading this with that one comment you make, you're, you're making, but they literally use the regular time between when Next Generation ended and now. And it, they're like, oh, it's 20 years in the future beyond where Next Generation even was. So it's an older Picard and an older casting. I don't think they'll get the whole original cast and crew, but. It, I mean, none of them. I mean, it, you know, Picard's probably the biggest shot of the big shots that were on that crew. I, I don't see them as hard to get. I mean, they brought them all together for that uh, that one Family Guy episode. That's, that's true. Point. They did. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. They bring back Will Wheaton and uh, Wesley Crusher is just some crazy mad admiral that is running Starfleet into the ground. <laughs> the, com- well, the complete opposite of the Wesley Crusher we knew. We're like, oh, wait a second. And I guess before we jump into all these hypotheses, that is kind of the 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 plot of today's episode, right? Is us hypothesizing? You're you're right. So kind of our. Our goal here is to write, this is, a, this is something new for us, we have not done this before, but we are going to work together and basically write or outline or, or spec out a movie that would fit in with this context. So, um, and I'm just going to do a shameless plug here for a second. If you like something like that, if that sounds like fun to you, Screen Heroes, one of our sister shows, is doing that for Star Wars this week. Uh, episode 96 of Screen Heroes, we are pitching a Star Wars film. Each of us are pitching Before the Last Jedi, which we will review on episode 97. So you can go check that out at heroespodcast.com. Or if you're on iTunes, go to screen-heroes.com and you can subscribe directly on iTunes. Um, so guys. Yeah, yeah. Enough of the other show. <laughs> what are, what are we going to do here? Uh, where, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the premise that Patrick Stewart is involved. Well, so before we jump into it, I did want to bring up one other piece of Trek news uh, that that dropped today uh, from trekmovie.com. Uh, there's uh, an announcement that um, Pinewood Studios uh, is enhancing themselves now um, to accommodate a larger Discovery production. So, uh, yeah, it was just announced that... Um, not only did Netflix say that Discovery is one of their number four shows internationally, so it's it's getting really big uh, numbers on Netflix, but uh, Pinewood um, in Toronto is um, doubling its current capacity for shoots. So I, I imagine we're going to be seeing some some big things in uh, in season two. Now, see, that's very interesting since I saw some articles that I didn't actually get a chance to read, but they were headlined about how CBS didn't realize how expensive Discovery was going to be. And, I mean, that seemed like BS to begin with. But now it sounds like even if they didn't know, they don't seem to care then if they're going to pour more money into it. Right. (laughs) 
let's just keep adding space. It seems to be doing good. Which, you know, if, if that's the case, then that means Discovery is profitable, which means, you know, I, I could imagine them, if the second half of the first season keeps up at its current pace where they're building new stages, I could, I could see thir- season three getting greenlit right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, they might want to do that just so they can have them closer together rather than this gap that we're going to have of more than a year. Also to lock down contracts and justify the space costs and everything. Sure, yeah, that, hmm. that stuff too, money. But the, that's the good money, news, money. is if they're expanding like that, then not only are they doing well, but they're also planning for the future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And that's... that's Because it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I walked into that one, I admit. <laughs> but uh, but I like it because it means that there's at least enough confidence from producers, leadership, and Paramount that they want to continue seeing what they can do with Discovery. Also, I imagine if they're seeing good numbers overseas for Discovery being watched on Netflix, just imagine, I, I feel like everybody's just waiting for the first season to drop on Netflix because I, I know a lot of people who were like, ah, I was on the fence about the first episode, but maybe I'll check it out when it hits Netflix. That Those numbers are going to explode as soon as it's available. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right about that for sure. And, you know, a lot of people have been saying that CBS doesn't really believe in the franchise. And, you know, like Discovery, don't like Discovery. They've done three things now to show support. They expanded the episode order for season one from 13 to 15. They greenlit a season two, and now they're making larger sound stages for season two. Yeah. All of that is support of a show. There's no other way to twist that. They are pouring money into the show. They want the show to be successful. Like like their vision, don't like their vision, that's subjective. But objectively, they are supporting the show. Which is what fans want to see production companies do, is give the shows that are doing well the support to continue doing well. Don't firefly it and move it around on different days or right. whatever. Yeah. And not only that, it's it's a CBS show, but it's also a Netflix show. In in the rest of the world that isn't here, it's it's a Netflix show that CBS is producing. So I'm I'm sure a lot of that money is coming from Netflix directly. That's fair. That's fair. Those contracts are are you know, they're why our Netflix monthly fee is going up, you know? So there you go. Yeah. Because Firefly never had that. They just had Fox. And as soon as Fox didn't see those numbers coming in, they turned off the, the old money valve. But, you know, mm-hmm. Netflix has two different sets of numbers in addition to CBS selling it on their own. So it's just like this thing is is making money, you know, every which way from Sunday. Good point. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's, that's Trek news for this week. Uh, let's write this thing. All right, so this is uh, so okay. So going back then to my first question, do we want to start with the premise that Patrick Stewart is involved, or do we want to assume that he is not involved? Uh, I'd say work with the premise that he is involved because he's pretty much said that he is. I mean, the two knowns right now are are basically Tarantino is on for directing, and uh, you know Picard might show up. So. If, if those are our knowns, then everything else can be unknowns. I'm, I agree with that as well. And plan on Patrick Stewart being involved. Okay. So now that leads into a, a second sub-question. Do you want to have time travel where Patrick Stewart's Picard goes back in time to meet Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto? Or do we want this to take place, you know, 75, 100 years in the future like Next Gen? 
I mean, if we if we already had Spock heading back in time from that era, it's just kind of like a conga line of time travelers. It, it kind of makes Chris Pine out to be some kind of magnet for, for Federation time travelers. I mean, that's true. But, uh, you know, there's been lots of time travel in Shrek. And in the movies, we've, you know, in the first ten movies, time travel was at least twice. Yeah, you know, that's true. So, but also between Star Trek 2007, the, the first Zachary Quinto one, and uh, the Beyond, I mean, those are basically the same plot. It's like they're already kind of recycling a lot of ideas where Federation is under attack by a crazy, mysterious thing, and and only the Enterprise can fix it. I feel like the the further we could get away from that, the better off we'll be as a movie. Okay. So, do we want to take any inspiration from yesterday's Enterprise, since that's one of Tarantino's favorite episodes of Star Trek, and he also thinks that it deserves the feature film treatment? Um, so, let's let's just go over, uh, in broad terms, what the plot of that one was real quick. Okay. So, in yesterday's Enterprise, the episode begins, everything is normal, and then a... Anomaly shows up on screen and the Enterprise C comes through the anomaly and everything changes. Immediately the bridge is darker, everything is more intense, the uniforms have changed slightly, Worf is nowhere to be found, and Tasha Yar is back. And it turns out that the Enterprise C was destroyed protecting a Klingon outpost from Romulans. And in that protection and sacrifice, they the, the peace between the Federation and the Klingons was easier to to work out and discuss. And instead, the Enterprise-C has now gone through time. They did not sacrifice themselves. So the war against the Klingons is actually happening still. The Federation is in a very bad place. Because of the war, Worf, of course, is not in the Federation. The Enterprise is not an exploration ship, so Tasha did not die. And the premise basically circles around Guinan, understanding that something is wrong. She knows that Tasha is supposed to be dead. She knows that this isn't right, that this is not the right timeline. But she has to convince Picard of that to send the Enterprise-C back where it came from and send the crew of the Enterprise-C back to their deaths. And the Enterprise-D is essentially, is is just about destroyed, protecting the Enterprise-C so it could go back and reset the timeline. And was is Guinan's ability to be unstuck from time in this way because she went through the ribbon from Star Trek Generations? Or is it just her race? Well, we're, we're led to believe it's just her race because Generations hadn't happened yet, number one. Uh, and number two, her, her right. species has always been very mysterious. Q is afraid of her, uh, which is very interesting to me. And so I always led it to believe that her species lives a little bit outside of our understanding of reality. Yeah, because Q even refers to Guinan as, why do you let this imp on your ship? I believe is the <laughs> phrase. So, you know, the whole mythological imp, the creatures of, for lack of a better term, mischief. So, yeah, I mean, and let's be honest. Okay, yesterday's Enterprise was season three of Next Generation. Um, was it three or four? You know, I'm drawing a blank, but it was definitely, I, it, was, it was definitely not the first two seasons, no. I'll say that much. Season 3, episode 15. There you go. Arguably one of the top 10 or top 5 episodes of all of Next Generation, I think, is the consensus on yesterday's Enterprise. Which, yes. if, if Tarantino, so if Tarantino's idea of loving that, loving that episode and that story, Andy wants to include Patrick Stewart, maybe it's a future Admiral Stewart, or Ad, Admiral Stewart, 
an Admiral Picard of some kind has an anomaly situation, just like Enterprise C. And true, which would which would then bring uh, the the Chris Pine, Chris Pine helmed Enterprise in contact with a potential older Picard helmed Enterprise C. Or because D. I want to to answer Derek's thought of do we think they would do use the 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 new Kelvin crew or try to just advance it to the Federation? I think if it was if it, if Tarantino has any control, I think or excuse me, if Paramount is kind of leading the charge here, I think they're going to want to use the new Kelvin crew with Chris Pine and Quinto because people can complain about the upjump action and everything being overcharged, but the character, the actors and actresses do have chemistry. And Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto are pretty good together and so is Bones. I know it's Carl Urban, but he's always going to be Bones to me now. Um, yeah. No, you make a good point. Yeah. I mean, very few people have problems with the cast, right? It's usually problems with the style or the tone, not the not the cast members. So I agree with you there. But I do know on the flip side of that that Paramount does not have all of these people under contract. So they would have to sign new contracts anyway. Hmm. Maybe to do to be with Quentin Tarantino, they would. Yeah. I mean, if we're going from scratch and we're not stuck with the Kelvin actors, I've—I mean, I liked their chemistry, but I was never that impressed with with them as a team. Like those those movies weren't very sticky for me as far as like being engaging from a from a Trek perspective. Well, so the issue we have here is that while you could use Picard in a captain or admiral position. Having the entire next-gen crew creates a bit of an issue because as a collective, they are definitely too old to just be a crew together. Right. Um, and, no matter what timeline. Yeah, and with the Kelvin timeline, would all of them still end up together? Right, which is which is kind of what I was thinking earlier when we were talking about the potential of having Picard. Because we could have it be in the Kelvin timeline and have it be set in the next generation era or, you know, 10 years past the, the next generation era with, with a slightly older Picard. And then we're really not tried to any tied to any one crew. They could potentially, the rest of the crew could show up as cameos a la the, the Serenity movie where we just get a little bit of uh, Shepard book and we just get a little bit of uh, various cast and characters that they kind of bump into along the way. That's a good point. So you're talking about, actually recasting the next generation for the movie not necessarily i was thinking actually more like the the motion picture where we have you know the the two new primary cast uh but then we have picard like elbowing his way onto the ship for for one last ride okay okay so is picard then the only original tng character that we bring on i mean I doubt Gates McFadden would be a believable crusher anymore. I don't know. Well, it depends. You I could saw... jump ahead. Sorry, Greg. Oh, no. I saw Gates McFadden at Star Trek 50 in Dallas. Uh, she's still digging the part and enjoying the fans. Yeah. <laughs> I, I saw her last year at Star Trek New York. So she she's definitely still very active in the community. I mean, she even signed the photo. She's Dan the, the photo she took with me. She signed it and said, hey, Greg, uh, See you at next year's physical. She put a heart around it. I was like, "Yep, I love my doctor. I love my doctor Crusher. She's the best." So you could actually take a, a ta- we could take something from All Good Things and have 
her and Picard either together or no longer together, and she of she is her own captain now of of a ship, a medical ship, or she's an admiral now. Maybe, you know, maybe she's the head of Starfleet Medical. I want them to be together. Like that's that's the one thing that like just my my shallow fandom from TND TNG. I just want Picard and and Crusher to have settled down and be happy. So we could do that. We could have Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden together. Uh, maybe she's the the head of Starfleet Medical and he's an admiral. And so they're both stationed, you know, around Earth on a regular basis. And this new Enterprise, maybe it's not the E. Maybe it's maybe we jump ahead a little bit farther. And this is the Enterprise F, like we have, you know, in Star Trek Online. And it's getting ready to launch. That, that'd be good for Tarantino, and, right? There you go. The Enterprise F. And what about what about this? I just I don't know. I we didn't think about this a few minutes ago. They keep the Kelvin crew, but it's the Enterprise A of that timeline. That gets pulled through a, dim- a dimensional door or whatever, just like the Enterprise C. Is that Archer's no, Enterprise? Um, I, I can't. No, you're talking. You're, you're talking about Kirk. Yeah, Kirk's Kirk's Enterprise. I don't. Did they? Add, I don't have. It doesn't have the A prefix yet, does it? The one that they are building at the end of Beyond, Beyond does. does. So that Enterprise A gets sucked through a dimensional portal to Picard's timeline. So see, I, I like that. I think that that's good because you don't have to introduce too many new characters that way. Well, and I just don't, I just don't think, I don't think that they're going to want, like I agree with you, Derek, they're not going to want to introduce an entire new crew if it's going to be a one standoff movie. Mm -hmm. So, so I wonder then, so, okay, so maybe we start, we start in the future. We start with Picard, Admiral Picard and chief, uh, head of, head of Starfleet medical, uh, crusher, Maybe she keeps her last name in this universe, right, to help differentiate for for newcomers who don't know the show. And they're getting ready to launch the Enterprise F, and this is a big deal. And, you know, maybe she has to talk Picard into going to the ceremony, kind of like in Generations. (laughs) And uh, so we're kind of flipping it. We're, We're kind of flipping Generations here. And then as the Enterprise F is on its, like, test cruise, right, it's, you know, it's passing Pluto or something. The, there's this anomaly, and the Enterprise A with Chris Pine and Quinto and so forth uh, comes through, and everything changes. Here's here's the twist. What if it's um, now empowered traveler uh, Wesley Crusher with, <laughs> with his bizarre celestial powers? What if he brings forth the uh, the Enterprise A with Chris Pine to to help solve some some problem? <laughs> uh <laughs> on, on, I would I would read that book, but I'm not sure that that would work on the big screen. It, it turns out in the in the distant future, the, oh, the distant future, a hundred years, you know, Khan escapes from his frozen prison again. It's like, oh man, who defeated him the first time? Oh, it was Kirk. <laughs> it's like, holy crap! No, this is a bad fan film now. Yeah. Yeah, the the bad fan film where Khan somehow gets the powers of the Q, like he tricks Q and becomes like lead of the Q continuum and just destroys I, all. I the assure Kirks. the fans out there, we are not drinking and talking Star Trek. This just kind of happened. But maybe, oh, maybe are we you guys should. Not? Oh, crap. I, uh, I I've actually there's there's a show Drunk that Trek? I've been listening to. Uh, no, it's called Seven of Wine. 
Oh, nice. And uh, it's t- it's uh, two two women hosts, and they talk about Star Trek Voyager, and they drink a wine that they try and pair with the episode that they're going to discuss, and it's a fantastic podcast. Like, why are we even doing the show? Then let's just listen to that one. It's so it's just so much fun. Like they just they have a really good time. They seem to really enjoy themselves. They seem to just have a really fun time. So you know, maybe that's something we should explore at some point, guys. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> all right. So the somehow the Enterprise. A, after Beyond, gets pulled forward to the future, and that's when they bump into, like, Derek, you were going with Admiral Picard and a chief medical, yeah, so, Federation's chief medical officer, Beverly Crusher. Right, exactly. And so I'm basically taking the Yesterday's Enterprise concept, and I'm tweaking it up. So it takes place farther in the future, uh, so we can have Patrick Stewart and Gates McFadden. Uh, we can even have cameos by some of the other characters if we wanted to. Um, you know, if there was some big send off or something, you know, with the, the bottle spinning in space like it did in Generations. And as the Enterprise F is, is on its test flight cruise with Picard and, and Crusher there, this anomaly occurs and the Enterprise A with Chris Pine and company comes through and we have that similar effect to yesterday's Enterprise. Everything changes, everything gets darker and all of a sudden we're at war with somebody and maybe it's the Klingons maybe it's not the Klingons um the Klingons were easy of course we were already fighting them in uh into darkness they had a scene in the 09 film that was cut um what do you guys think I mean we already got a lot of Klingon content going right now with darkness I'd like to see some Cardassians I I feel like they haven't had their center stage since DS9 Ooh, okay so now in this timeline They've got. They've been more ambitious, and they've they've taken over parts of the Beta Quadrant and the Alpha Quadrant. Well, also with with um, Vulcan destroyed, they didn't have their their kind of check uh, in place with with the Vulcans being their like uh, emotional counterpart. Or no, I'm thinking of Romulans. No, no, you have a good no. But I'm gonna go. Let's run with that. You have a good idea because the Vulcans always had a huge prominence with the Council, with Starfleet leadership, with admirals. When their population is so drastically reduced, even Spock said a lot of them were going home. And he was thinking about right. going home to the new colony to rebuild New Vulcan. So maybe what if that happens? What if there's not the logical leadership side and because the Enterprise A got sucked through and like Derek was talking about the Cardassians, maybe they still hold Bajor. Maybe the first Cardassian Federation war didn't end with a, like a peace with honor, but it ended with the Federation acknowledging Cardassian dominance of something. I don't know. Well, okay. So if we run with that from the Vulcan standpoint, maybe Spock was supposed to be somewhere at some specific time to kind of talk the peace between the Federation and the Cardassians. And he wasn't there because the Enterprise A got lost during a mission, right? Because they're, they're gone now. And they weren't able to kind of garner this peace. Um, maybe, maybe it's something really crazy. Maybe we take this totally in a different direction. And because, you know, Star Trek four was a big question mark anyway, and it maybe wasn't going to happen. There wasn't a lot of steam behind it. Maybe this is the bookend. And maybe what was supposed to happen is something that mirrors yesterday's Enterprise, where a lot of maybe Spock and some of the Enterprise crew lost their lives defending Cardassians. Oh, that's interesting. So, what if what if it was actually so? 
we have Tarantino on things things are going to get dark what if what if this movie would be the closing of the Kelvin timeline and returning like the basic premise would be they've everything in the Kelvin timeline is uh is broken time like things are wrong and and they're like Picard and uh Crusher are coming back to fix it well, that changes things pretty drastically because we had the Enterprise A going forward in time. So you're talking about flipping it and having Picard go back in time. Well, no, if they go forward in time, they see like how bleak everything is. So in in the same way as like yesterday yesterday's Enterprise where they they see this Enterprise now become a battleship, this war-torn world that they don't want to to come about. Or maybe they, maybe when the Enterprise A comes into the future, and the Cardassians are still the villains, but maybe it turns out that Kirk and Spock and team brought some morality to the Federation, which kind of, they kind of did. And without that, the Federation, without the Vulcan guidance, they turn into like an empire. Oh! And, Dark and Federation. Not, and, wait, 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 wait. Go. I got it. I, okay, so the, the Enterprise A was meeting with the Cardassians to discuss peace arrangements. And when the Enterprise A went missing, the Federation assumed the Cardassians destroyed them. Ooh. And by missing, you mean shunted forward in time? Right. Hmm. So the Enterprise go- was lo- you know, was believed lost in a battle with the Cardassians. And so we've been at war with the Cardassians for the better part of a century. And what really happened was there was an anomaly and the ship got sucked forward in time. And they have to find a way to send the Enterprise A back to correct the timeline so we're not at war with the Cardassians. Right. Then then the Picard and Crusher we see wouldn't necessarily be, you know, Admiral, everything we've seen in Next Generation hero Picard. It might be like, almost like a Terran Prime, like war-torn, scattered-to-the-winds, last vestiges of humanity. Yeah, and, and it's not that we're losing the war, it's the opposite. It's like the Federation is expanding. And we're hostile, and we're a shoot-first, almost adopting more of like a Romulan Klingon style of, you know what? It's hmm. like because the Enterprise A was lost, maybe the Federation at the time was like, you know what? We got punched in the gut by the Card- or the, the Klingons, we got punched in the gut by the Cardassians again. No more. We're not, we're not, we're not the punching bags. <laughs> Oh, that that'd be amazing, Dark Picard. So wait a minute. So maybe we can take take a bit. That's a Tarantino movie. It is. Maybe we can take a bit from Broken Mirror, which is the IDW comic book about the Mirror Universe. Maybe this event creates kind of the Kelvin Mirror timeline in the movies, where right. you know we're not necessarily evil, but we felt pushed to this militarized version of ourselves, and we've we conquered. The, you know, we conquered Vulcan and Andoria. We conquered, you know, the Romulan Empire. And, you know, the Cardassians are like the big force that we're fighting. And it's like that the, all the history books, you know, Rome, the Roman Empire conquered the world in self-defense is the way they tried saying it. And it's like this, it's like the same thing about the Federation. They took the, conquered the Romulans. Cause that, cause that pulls in elements from all good things. The, the next generation finale when the Klingons had conquered the Romulans. And I like it. I like it. And we're, and let's face it, Tarantino is not the kind of director where I know he's he does good. He has good action chops. I'm not talking about that. He's not going to rely on the 
single super weapon battleship type thing. He's going to be character driven for the most part. Mm-hmm. So do we then cast Picard as the hero or the villain of this movie? No, I think he has to be, it's still Picard. He still has to be the hero. In this case, I, I think he's kind of like the Spock from Mirror Mirror, who he's from this other timeline, but he, he logically knows it, it could be better. So, so I was kind of jumping a few chapters in my head and I was thinking, what if, what if that's what we think this Picard is, but it turns out he's trying to send the, the now warship flagship of the Federation back in time to Kirk's timeline to start the process even sooner and like even, even more dominate the universe. So it's, it's like, that's, that's the big beginning of third act twist that, uh, Picard is actually like, cause he still has his, his belief, his core beliefs in the Federation, but this is this perverted Federation that is, that is much more about domination than exploration. So we still have a very pro Federation Picard who wants to, to be the best captain, but in this world, being the best captain means capturing the most like alien world. So it kind of borrows an idea from Voyager about the temporal cold war that one species was having. Where I mean, oh, Enterprise, yeah, the temporal cold war. <laughs> so right. the Sulaban, yeah, okay. So so then Kirk and Spock have to stop Picard. I'm 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 sorry. I was gonna, I love this. <laughs> this, <laughs> this this would make five hundred million dollars, and people would it would all be yours. It would all be <laughs> ours. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino, if you're listening, look, just we'll we'll take ten percent. And yeah. we will advertise your movie. We all want to be ensigns on the bridge. <laughs> and I want to die horribly. Um. Okay, so, so, so. So the other thing that would be different in the future with, with Vulcan destroyed is that you would have unchecked Romulans. You would have a lot more Romulan power in that sector because they. And I, I'm specifically thinking about that one episode where there's the, uh, the telepathic super weapon. Uh, that the Romulans and you remember that episode from Next Generation? Oh yeah, the arc, the um, the artifact. That's yeah, the, the one Romulan that was pretending to be a Vulcan archaeologist finds. Yeah, right. So now, now the Romulans definitely get their hands on that. Well, so but I was thinking though, if the Federation's been at war with with the Cardassians and they've become this hyper militarized organization, maybe they've conquered one of the major empires. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Ferengi would go down, no question. I'm not talking Ferengi. I mean of, like, the war empires. There's three. you got the Cardassians, the Klingons, and the Romulans. And I feel like if the Federation were like them, from a military standpoint, there couldn't be four. Right. So which one would they have conquered? Well, I feel like the Klingons would die before they were actually conquered. Like, I, I could never see the Klingons falling. I mean, I could I could see them losing, but if they lose, they're gone. Just, like, there's no subservient Yeah, they'll Klingons. turn into, like, mercenaries or pirates or something. But I, so then, the Romulans, I actually... That's doable, and it's been discussed, and we already had a war with them, a pretty bloody war where we nuked Romulus. So, that history exists, or maybe they do something, they attack one of our neutral zone... Well, one of the neutral... Yeah, neutral zone border posts, and we're like, you know what? Enough of this. 
and we take over the Romulans, and then we're dealing with like a Romulan insurrection at the same time. But not that's an interesting idea. But not like insurrection in the movie. Okay, so so let's let's go back over this. See what we've got so far. We've got the Enterprise A going for a meeting with Cardassians for potential peace talks in current time Kelvin Kirk era. So probably like about 10 years pre-motion picture, that kind of, or like during the original series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Then that Enterprise goes missing from a temporal rift, uh, which are we just going to call that natural phenomenon or is that going to be caused by someone? No, I think it has to be natural. Okay. So natural, you know, stable time, wormhole, whatever, you know, whatever psychobabble or technobabble makes that possible. They get pushed into the future and the future is then like an almost mirror universe-esque one in which the Federation now in like blind retaliation to their own loss of their own flagship that they didn't actually lose, just got displaced in time. They've now gone full militarization and, and almost like Klingon style pushed and and tried to take over most of the uh, Alpha Quadrant. Yeah. Okay. So then they they pop out of their their time hole and they run into we're saying uh, Picard and Crusher. Are are they on an Enterprise or are they on some other ship? Well, I think are we just saying this is. I think it starts out with. They're, they're on this new Enterprise, right? And then that's when the A shows up and everything changes like it does in yesterday's Enterprise. And then the ship that they're on at that point needs to be whatever the, 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 that timeline's thing would be. So some type of battleship. In the Broken Mirror comic book, it's actually, it, he starts off with the, his old Stargazer. Uh, but I don't know if we want to go that route. Now, do we want Guinan to, to have a role in this? I don't know. I mean, that's a little bit tougher from an age perspective because her character was supposed to already be like six or 800 years old. And right. obviously Whoopi Goldberg has aged in the last 30 years. So I'm not a ton though. She still looks pretty, pretty good. I agree. I agree. But she definitely looks like she's aged faster than her character should have. Yeah. It would be amazing if instead of Whoopi Goldberg, it was Malcolm McDowell's character from uh, Generations, <laughs> just as another of her same species. And that's an interesting twist. Because the new timeline, he's not all crazy and evil because he never encounters the ribbon or whatever. That is he is 80 years old, though. Yeah, that's true, yeah, he is. Malcolm McDowell, we'll just digitally cut off an arm and make it look like he was injured in battle or something, and there we go. <laughs> we put him in one of those... Uh, those wheelchairs where you have the beeps from uh, <laughs> Captain Fight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So that's all going on. And the Federation is kind of militarist. So, so I'm thinking the that that becomes the third act twist where the the first act is is setting up all this exposition. Then the second act is probably Picard. Uh, seeming to unite with Kirk and Spock to to return them to their normal time and stop all of this from happening. And then the third act twist is when we get we get evil Picard actually looking to go back with them to to seize power. Yeah. So that's so that's when Spock and Kirk have to maybe unite with uh 
Klingons or Cardassians, maybe maybe the descendants of the Cardassians they were supposed to meet with. Then we have juxtaposition and reflection from the first act, where they actually complete their original mission of having a peace meeting with the Cardassians. <laughs> there's a lot. Go- there's a lot going on here. <laughs> this is a complicated story, but I mean, I think Tarantino I loves think it those. Work. He does, and we don't have to worry about the big super ultra battleship because that's just not Tarantino's style. Primarily character driven, which definitely Tarantino's style. So I guess the real question is, um, how do they? figure out how to get back and then they have to figure out how Picard is really not on the ball with them on the level. So maybe, maybe we go full, uh, full fan service and have, have a secondary ship that shows up with like, like older data or not data, but, uh, before, we get the the glorious return of B four, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like Jordy and Worf as like some kind of almost Maquis rebellion against the the overreaching Federation. Uh, I mean that could be some 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 fun cameo stuff, but we need a way to go back in time. And if you want to go the fan service route, you could have Zachary Quinto Spock calculate what it would take to slingshot around the sun, just like Voyage Home. Oh, yeah. And uh, he figures that out, and they share the information with Picard. And maybe maybe because of Picard's ship, it's, it's, too, it's too much of a battleship. It can't hit the speeds required to make the slingshot, so he needs the Enterprise A. Oh, give him a reason to want to... Not just a power thing, but also uh, almost like selfish, I need your ship because of A, B, and C. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe the uh, the techno babble could be they've they've moved on to trilithium so much that they don't have any ships that run on dilithium, and the only way to make this uh, happen is with with a dilithium based warp drive. I mean, you could say that. I don't know enough about how the slingshot works to really know if that would be a requirement or not. To be honest with you, yeah. Well, I don't know. If Star Trek knows how the slingshot works, though. It just goes fly at the fast flight the sun is, or the star as fast as you can and uh, just hope I'm sure hope somebody the out there knows. Like, so if you're listening and you're like, well, actually, just, you know, hit us up at Heroes, uh, at Heroes Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Contact at HeroesPodcast.com. Let, let us know how the slingshot works. But if you're going to... Yeah, with the hashtag, well, actually. But if you're going, <laughs> if you're going to do it, you got to do it while you're wearing a Starfleet uniform. you got to make it as le- make it as legit as possible. Yeah. Well, I think for for proper third act conflict, we we probably want the source of the return in time being the the matter from that that time period, uh, triggering like what time period it's sent back to. That way, we not only have the the heroes helping them get back in time, but we have the villains chasing them, trying to use them as a tool to get back in time. So, like, maybe they're on some kind of time wavelength, or they're vibrating on some type of frequency. And does the movie even worry about them trying to convince Picard the error of his ways, or do they just completely ignore all that? I don't know. I I think it's, like, standard TNG wrap-up 
where it's like there's a flash of light and before the flash of light we see the the enterprise like exploding and after the flash of light we see like Picard and uh Crusher you know hugging on the 10 forward or something like where it's like oh it's fixed now yay well no it, time is better it's just like yesterday's enterprise you it starts it ends where it began right so the enterprise a gets away Right, you know, with with Picard and his ship is like trying to barrel down on them, and they're firing all these crazy weapons. But the Enterprise A is able to outrun them, and it goes back in time. And right as it does, everything you know warps back the way it did. You know that that effect that they did in yesterday's Enterprise, and it's back on the training mission for the new Enterprise F. And Picard and Crusher are, you know, maybe they exchange a look like they felt something, and then that's. Yeah, the, the Enterprise sails off into the sunset. And maybe because it's Tarantino, they'll do something like when the Enterprise F returns to normal, lack of a term, normal space. He has a micro, he, has, he changes like one little thing where the captain is, instead of white, is like an African-American captain. And that's it. They just don't show anything else. They just do a minor change. So the audience is like, what? And it's, it is Samuel it's Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> now, wait, here's something. What if? What if when it, when everything goes back to quote normal, and you know they they have their their training crews and everything, and then maybe it cuts to a little a little bit later, and Picard goes into his his quarters and he uh, he sits down at his desk and he's reading a pad, of course, and all of a sudden the console lights up and it's a message from from Kirk that was like a time capsule message oh. for him to get after everything was supposed to be reset. That would be interesting. Mm. I, th- I feel like we we see them riding off into the sunset, and that's that's kind of enough of their ending. Okay, I, I'm almost thinking we we finish things setting up the sequel. So maybe Kirk goes back in time, but maybe it's not back in time where we expect him to. Maybe it's like Enterprise back in time. <laughs> they overshoot, and now we're stuck with two time travel movies in a row. <laughs> or if it comes out in the next two weeks and uh, somehow he ends up at that place where the discovery goes to at the end of the first half of the season well, there you go there you go <laughs> Just tie all the universes they can possibly tie together yeah spock we've got to get back to the future <laughs> we've got to go back oh. back to the future to the present to the <laughs> kirk's writing like a hoverboard i'm like oh god this <laughs> is so obviously there has to be that one point where they they find a character from from Trek past that that solves whatever science dilemma they have. Who do we want it to be? I'm I'm thinking Barkley. A known a known side character that even had a few of his own episodes dedicated to him. Yeah. Cuz it could it could be Jordy, but it feels a little too on the nose. Well, I don't know, though, because it has to be somebody who's somewhat age-appropriate and uh, somewhat recognizable would be good. Otherwise, if, I mean, if you don't know who Barkley is, then he's just another random character, so it doesn't matter. But everybody knows LeVar Burton and, you know, Jordy, so maybe maybe that's what you do. Maybe it is Jordy, but he has his visor back. Uh, I gotcha. Because, because they got rid of the visor in First Contact, and I know that was LeVar Burton's... Uh, push to do that because he couldn't see well during like fight scenes and things like that and i sincerely apologize uh lavar for even suggesting it but based on the (laughs) on the time difference it could be another nod to this is not the normal timeline because you know may you know he should have 
his his new bionic eyes, but instead he's got the visor. Oh, what if what if there's like a war data? It's, <laughs> it's like it's like data, but almost in that that first uh, murder robot from the beginning of uh, RoboCop. So it's just like his head stuck in this giant hulking robot body with like rocket mounted shoulder <laughs> guns. <laughs> well, I, I feel like Data wouldn't be all that different because Soong created Data, and Soong was you know, doing his own thing and wanted to create something that looked human. Right, but we see all these next generation episodes where they're questioning what what role Data has to play as as a part of the Federation. So if if they're the War Federation, wouldn't they be like, oh no, we're gonna we're gonna disassemble Data and we're gonna put him as the targeting computer in a in a giant death machine that we can drop on planets and and wipe out entire Klingon civilizations? Well, there there was a um, there was a comic book where there's just like a bunch of Datas and they're all running the ship because um, <laughs> they can make calculations faster and more accurate and things like that. So maybe he's like a tactical mastermind. For for this federation, yeah, that would be interesting because that would be a way you could use um, Brent Spiner and and not have to deal with his actual age. Is you just have it be he didn't he wasn't able to make data. He just did like he did for his wife, and he made himself uh, a Doctor Noonien soon android body. So he's just like soon soon droid. Or well, what if I mean. Star Wars has done it. Tron Legacy tried to do it. What if they just aged him down using CGI? Eh. It's always weird. I agree. I agree. It's it's usually weird, but they've pulled it off a couple of times. I mean, somewhat anyway. And it wouldn't have to be like a lot of a lot, right? You really just need, you know, well, we, we got to go to data because he'll under, he'll be able to calculate this thing, right? And so maybe Data and Jordy have to work together to figure out this slingshot methodology that Spock never invented. Right. But it, it's it still makes sense to young Spock. Spock just isn't there yet, so he needs a little bit of help. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I think that works pretty well. So Data and Jordy, along with Quintos Spock, determine what this formula is, but that's when they realize it'll work the Enterprise A can do it, but Picard's ship is a battleship and can't. It doesn't have the agility and the speed to to make this jump happen. And so, either uh, so that's when Picard realizes that he can't take his ship back. He's going to have to take the Enterprise A. You think there's room in this story somewhere for T'Pol, like an older, two hundred year old T'Pol? I think she'd be too old. Too old because she would have been she would have been a, like 120 or 130 by by the original Kirk time, so she would be like 250 years old. How old was Spock when he died? Um, I, I don't th- I think 200 is still pretty old for a Vulcan. Hmm. Hmm. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure. Uh, I mean, it does say there is a uh, there is an article. On memory alpha, that that says that they can live, uh, they have a lifespan of about two hundred years. Okay, so that would have been she would be on her last legs. Yeah, yeah. Is there anyone from DS Nine we could pull into this somehow? Maybe Voyager. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of flexibility. It's just does it do anything to the story to add any of these other actors in? 
I mean, I feel like if we're going to do a, a Cardassian-based plot, we sh- we should get some Garrick in in the mix. Well, what maybe Garrick is maybe Garrick is like the main Cardassian captain that we have like a battle with or something. Or that that could be the the breakdown where you have maybe instead of going to Jordy and Data, they have to go to Bashir, the the augment that's that's working with the Resistance on DS Nine, the former Cardassian stronghold that's now like the last last stand against the Federation, and then we then we hit both both fandoms. Interesting. That's interesting. Greg, what do you think of that? Well, I'm a huge DS9 fan, and I would love if they did something along the lines of including a Garrick as, whether he's, like, remember he was part of the Obsidian Order for so long, and maybe in this movie he still is. And maybe he's running yeah. the Obsidian Order. And maybe they somehow tie into the fact that the Cardassians realize the Enterprise F has some importance to it above and beyond the Enterprise A encountering it. And so that way they do tie in some of the timeline or the, some of the, some of the DS9 characters and Bashir being an augment. Maybe somehow that's, maybe that's okay in this timeline. The Federation realizes they need some augments, but they're, uh, I'm trying to find a way to say that they're controlled. <laughs> like the limits, like there's limits to using augments, like rules and structure. So that way they don't, sure. they, that way they don't get out of control, but I'm trying to do it in a way that doesn't sound too corny. Maybe it's like Section 31. Well, They're like, oh, we control the augments. Nobody else does. Yeah, I mean, you could do it kind of like how the Dominion, you know, controlled, um, you know, through like a drug, or maybe there's an enzyme that they require to live or something. Ketracel white? Exactly, yeah. What? what oh, how about this? If, if we want to in- include the, the DS9 stuff, maybe the solution to go back in time is they need to do something to alter the functionality of a stable wormhole. Interesting. So they're actually they're using they're using the uh, the DS nine wormhole to get back to their normal time, and that would be on the edge of Cardassian space. Um, so that would yeah. know, definitely be a, a conflicted kind of area. Uh, but then we, then we run into an issue with then you don't need the slingshot anymore. Yeah. True. But that would that would be an interesting paradigm where you know you you start to see that sinister flipping of, of sides and Picard becomes the bad guy and then we'd have Goldicott being the good guy. But how does Picard become the bad guy in this scenario? That's what, what I was saying earlier where it turns out he's trying to go back in time with them to not fix the timeline but to reinforce the Federation control on the timeline. But I guess my question is like how how do we figure that out? How does Kirk and Spock figure that out? Um, they read his, uh, his log. <laughs> well, I don't know, but why, why would they be reading the Admiral's log? It's a good question. See, that's why I think like with the slingshot, there's like a reason there's some type of like constraint that we can put on it where we can say that, you know, Picard's ship can't quite make it. So now he has to try and steal the Enterprise A and that's something obviously would be a direct conflict with Kirk and Spock. Hmm. Hmm. This is pretty. This is this could be a very interesting Star Trek movie. I think so, and maybe we have to tie up some loose ends next week because we're running out of time here. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, I've got I, I have another show to record. So me too. <laughs> uh, so do you guys think maybe this is a good spot to stop, and we'll tie up the ending next week? Sure. Did someone take notes? 
<laughs> I got it. I got it. I got it. Okay. We're good. And again, anybody out there, if you've got fun ideas, that's what this fandom's all about. Is Star Trek has always been kind of encouraging of people having their own ideas. So shoot them our way. Yep. Yes, please do. If you have ideas, you can email us, contact at heroespodcast.com. You can tweet us at heroespodcast. We're at facebook.com slash heroespodcasts. And you can also go to heroespodcasts.com. And it's always plural. It's heroespodcasts. Um, guys, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at the underscore bittersteel on Twitter and also at my email at the underscore bittersteel at yahoo.com. And I'm on Twitter at Zen Munkin, um, and I'm uh, hosting another show on the network called the Saturday Morning Tunecast. Fantastic. I am, of course, at the Star Trek Dude. You can find me on Screen Heroes and Gamer Heroes, two other shows on the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, please subscribe and drop us a review. It'll help other people find the show. And let us know what you think. Let us know what your favorite Star Trek episode is or alien species or ship design. Uh, you know, we just want to talk to you guys. So come talk to us. Thanks for tuning in. I think we'll catch you guys next week. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.